0: in the skills and gifts and abilities that we have. These are things given to us by God in whatever measure He's chosen to give us them for whatever time He's chosen to give us them. And our job is really just to respond to that and to be faithful in the work and not to be so focused on um, the results or whether or not other people are affirming that in us.
1: Welcome to The Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Emily Jensen is the co-founder and content director of Risen Motherhood. She's the host of the Risen Motherhood podcast and an author. Her most recent book is He is Strong, Devotions for When You Feel Weak. In this episode, Emily and I talk about discerning the different kinds of weakness, understanding the limits of willpower, and taking action in faith when you can't see the outcome. Emily Jensen, so glad to have you on the Habit Podcast Um, to talk about your book. He is strong devotions for when you feel weak. So thanks for being here.
0: Thanks for having me. I've been a a listener myself and just really love consuming all things writing.
1: Good. Uh, What? Tell me what possessed you to write a book about weakness.
0: <laughs> yeah, sometimes I look back and wonder cuz I found out it's not necessarily like the most popular topic. Not a lot not of right. people are are reaching for a book about their own weakness, but um you know, for me this book goes back to a pretty specific moment in time. Um in January of 2021, our fourth child who has a genetic mutation and some other just disabilities that he's uh, struggled with over the years actually had his very first seizure. And, huh. um, at the time we did not know, um, what was going on. It was a very rare type of seizure. Um, and it was very, very scary and traumatic event. Yeah, And so in light of that event, you know, I just felt like the rug had been pulled out from under me in mm-hmm. life. Um, you know, Obviously, I've I've had struggles and sorrows like many people have, but there was just something about epilepsy and a child that was a whole different ball game for me mentally, emotionally, physically, and I found myself needing to process that. Um, and so I started meeting with one of my pastors, and we were talking about uh, not only this event that happened, but also just the way that I feel and approach life and think about hard things and think about my response to hard things mm-hmm. and over and over again i kept calling myself weak mm-hmm. um i kept describing how you know i was lower capacity than most people and i wasn't able to handle things like other people are and you know i just i just kept bringing this theme up and he pointed that out to me one day and said you know you should you should really consider writing about that Mm -hmm. and my first response to that was no i i don't want to think about that any more than i have to but that seed just was planted in my mind and i could not get it out of my head for months um and writing has been something throughout my life that i have done in part to understand what i think and believe about things it's almost like until I put it into words and like work it out, I don't know exactly where I stand on the topic or how it's affecting me. It's like I haven't fully processed it. And so one morning I just woke up and thought, you know what, I'm going to list out all the ways that I feel weak and I'm going to go to the Lord. I'm going to go to the word and start to work through these things one thing at a time. And and what was born from that was really a, a devotional. So that's where the book came from. Uh-huh. Um...
1: And when did you say that you, that this, your child's first seizure was in 21, you said?
0: January 2021. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so it's been since then that you've been working through this. That was a hard, that was yeah. a hard era. January oh, it was.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that the things we were all living through at that time also compounded a lot of my, my uh-huh. feelings of weakness and brought that to a head
1: yeah I, I mean you, you said that you your la- the language of of weakness kept coming up and that such that can be the the language of self-judgment, self-condemnation. We somehow think of weakness as evidence of um uh, you know, failure or I, there must be something wrong with me if if I'm weak, but it's really just a, a function of our finitude, right? I mean we, we want to be infinite we want to we want to be omnicompetent and that's not the nature of what it means to be a human being
0: exactly i think that it was so encouraging to me when i realized how many how many aspects of my weakness that i felt condemnation about i felt uh, guilt about i really berated myself over
1: mm-hmm. were
0: also types of weakness that Jesus experienced as a human, you know? Mm-hmm. and so it's just I had to go, wait a second if if Jesus was hungry sometimes and Jesus felt grief and he was limited to one place in time. um <laughs> certainly, we are not the same as Jesus, but there were elements of that experience, just as a human experience that mm-hmm. you realize, oh, this isn't, this may be true that I'm lacking something that I want, or I'm lacking something that I think I need, or I'm, I'm not enough, or I don't have enough in this area, but it doesn't mean that I am an utter failure or that I am outside of God's will for me in this situation. So there was a lot to unpack there. Um, And also to kind of nuance from areas of life where, you know, I could find myself like a city without walls where maybe I had had the opportunity to fortify Mm. aspects of my life, aspects of my heart and God had already provided the means to do that. And I had not been taking that or walking in obedience in that.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to circle back around to that in just a second. Um, But one thing that I think, I think I got this from, from Kelly Capick's book which now I can't remember the name of he, he was on the podcast a couple of years ago or, um, anyway, uh, our finitude is a clue to what actually is our work in the world. You know, I, the fact that I can't do everything is not only, you know, I think of that as some, as some sort of, uh, okay. It's a limitation. It is a, um, but it's not, it's not necessarily a negative the fact that I can't do everything means I can do what I can do. And I've got a clue to what it is that I can do because I know I can't fly, for instance. Um, so that's all flying related things are off the table in terms of what my what my duties <laughs> are. That's a bad example because nobody can fly. But there are things that other people can do that I can't do. Great. That means I don't have to do those things. I only have to do what I can do. Um,
0: and I, I also think it's it can be a gift, you know limitation when there's something we are unable to do and then we walk humbly and independently with God through something he's maybe called us to that is difficult for us. Mm-hmm. When we stick with that, when we persevere, when God still works in and through that situation anyway, it really grows our faith and he gets, you know, a tremendous amount of glory in that, you know, even thinking about, you know, Paul with the thorn in his flesh of, hey, he has something in his life that's causing him to feel weak and yet he is going about his ministry anyway. And as he does that with the thorn, he sees Christ's strength perfected in that. So mm-hmm. there, there's a real gift for us, I think, if we're willing to trust God in the midst of those those hard circumstances the things he's given us that we don't understand or want or even our own limitations
1: yeah yeah okay um you you talk about the you've already touched on the idea that there are different kinds of weakness that you when you start to think about your own weakness you start listing out the different ways you're weak um and and so you you do write in this book about the importance of identifying what kind of weakness you're experiencing. Um, I want to hear you. I want to talk about that. Why is it important to identify what kind of weakness we experience?
0: I I think I've noticed, you know, a couple of dominant narratives about weakness w- with Christians. And I have fallen into both of these categories. And uh-huh. one is thinking of weakness as something that should be avoided, suppressed, we don't want to think of ourselves as weak at all, but I mean, after all we have Christ and after all we, you know, should be able to do all of these things. And I, and I think even just culturally, the idea of our weakness is something that people don't want to talk about. They don't like they're uncomfortable with it. Um, you know, America is very, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, work harder, try harder. If you just research enough, you can figure it out. Um, but on the flip side of that, I think we can also fall into the temptation of glorifying every type of weakness and saying, oh, weak, weak, weak. The weaker mm-hmm. I am, the better, because God God is going to be there for me. And, you know, we pull out those verses that talk about Christ's strength being made perfect in our weakness. And it kind of starts to feel like, well, maybe me being weak is the goal. Um, Mm -hmm. And it seems like both of those things are not exactly how the Bible pictures weakness um, holistically. And so what I really found when I came to the Word, and certainly, you know, very few things in life fit clean and neat and tidy into one category or the other. So I recognize there's some gray area and complexity here. But it seemed to me like I was seeing types of weakness that we experience, um, as a result of, like you said, our own limitations, um, things that God has designed, not only for mankind, but just circumstances that he has placed into our lives. You know, we didn't necessarily do anything wrong where we're not, you know, Sinning in any way, but this is just a reality of our lives. So, this could be things like maybe someone is walking through a bereavement or an intense season of grief, and there is a weakness that comes with that. Mm-hmm. But we don't need to beat ourselves up for being weak because we're in a season of grief. Um, Jesus grieved, you know, this is something that we can take time for and know that our our strength and our resilience is going to look different in that season than it does in other seasons. Um, Perhaps there is a level of uh, disability or um, there's a chronic illness that you're walking with. And it's like, Mm -hmm. that can make someone when they wake up one morning and they have a flare up of whatever this illness is, and then they can't work as many hours as they wanted to work that day. That can be something I think people are tempted to really despair about and Mm -hmm. have that con condemnation when really it's like this is something that the lord has brought into your life and yes we want to take it to him and walk as faithfully as we can but this is not a type of weakness that we need to um feel guilt around and and just try to you know feel like we're unworthy right nor the
1: punishment this this, this invitation is yeah
0: and And so, on the flip side of that, you know, I, I already alluded to it a little bit. i I think that there are ways where we are walking in weakness, um that are not good, right? I mean, we know that sin is is a weakness. if If weakness is really just lacking something, which is the essential definition of it, then, certainly before the throne of God, we lack the righteousness we need to be in relationship with him apart from Christ. And so, there's all types of downstream effects from that. Um, You know, sometimes I even think of like the sluggard that we see pictured in Proverbs where, you know, the sluggard isn't doing much work, isn't doing much preparation, is laying around, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden winter comes and the sluggard needs something and it's like, well, wait, I don't have enough food. I don't have what I need. And and there's kind of a throwing up their hands in the air. And it's like, well, but whose fault is that? You know, mm-hmm. you, you could have, and you chose not to. Um, so there are areas of our lives where I think that weakness piece is something where God has provided a means of strength, but we've, we've chosen to try to live apart from him in that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, any thoughts on distinguishing between those different I, mean, I, I think we there it depends on one's personality i think um or one's character you know, which ditch we're mo- more likely to fall in right as, as you said it, there there are there are limitations in our life that are that are our own fault um i'm probably inclined to err on the side of thinking if i've got a limitation it's cuz I somehow was in the wrong. Um and and then there are other people who just don't take responsibility for themselves and and you know think it's it's somebody else's fault that they're you know have a limitation. So any thoughts on how you distinguish and and how you how to be wise in that?
0: Mm-hmm. I mean that's where I think there is this real need no matter what type of weakness that you are facing or experiencing to acknowledge it mm-hmm. and bring it to the Lord mm-hmm. I think there's so much freedom in our lives when we are willing to take the things that are nagging at us bothering us festering in our minds to the Lord and mm-hmm. just and just lay them in front of him and say okay I I don't know whether I'm in sin here I don't know whether I've stumbled I don't know uh-huh. whether this is something you've brought into my life but God, I feel guilt about this. I feel shame about this. I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to walk in this anymore. And and just to sit with him in that and and allow him to make that clear. You know, I think as we are we're in the word and we're asking for wisdom on things, he promises to give us counsel, he promises to provide I think there's also a lot of help in bringing others in. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of times we try to solve our own problems in our head and we just end up walking in circles. But I've had so much clarity from just bringing in a trusted friend, bringing Mm -hmm. in a pastor, bringing in a few people who I can bounce something off of. And and if you're talking to someone who's wise, they can really quickly help you go, okay, well... Yeah, your your son was just diagnosed with epilepsy. Epilepsy. You have four other kids. It's the middle of winter. Like, you just need to lighten up on yourself a little bit, or they can help you go interesting. Why do you feel that way? You know, and kind of press into something if perhaps it is rooted in an unhealthy pattern of sin.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some some of the ways these ideas apply specifically to people who are who do creative work or want to do creative work. Maybe imposter syndrome is a place to start. I know you—you uh, you have at least one of one of your devotions is about imposter syndrome. I think. Don't I have that right, or is that just something you talk about? So, anyway. You do. Yeah, yeah. Um, imposter syndrome. Yeah, is that something you uh, have dealt with, Emily? Imposter. Oh, syndrome?
0: all the time. All the time. <laughs> You're, I'd in love your to book, you said seventy
1: percent of people deal with it. I'm thinking yeah. only seventy percent. Surely, it's everybody. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah, and 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 maybe writers, you know, most of all. I mean, yeah. you know, anytime I've sat down to work on a project, it's like I'm also sitting at a table with a bunch of other people who are staring at me going, this isn't helpful. This is wrong. This yeah. is the worst writing I've ever read. <laughs> and yeah. you can really just feel like, you know, I'm I've you know two books in now and sometimes I'll still meet someone at like a dinner party with my husband and he'll introduce me as an author. And I'm like, you know, looking over my shoulder to see if there's someone Mm -hmm. else standing there. And I realize he's talking about me. And so, yeah, there can be that real sense of, yeah, I, I, I write, but at what point can I call myself a writer and, um, is my writing good enough if it hasn't won any awards or it hasn't Mm -hmm. hit any bestseller lists, um, there can be a real sense that I'm not actually supposed to be doing this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so what are you doing about that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) What am I doing about that? Um, You know, I, I think it's been really important for me to remember that, you know, the Lord is sovereign. I, I, let me back up and say that the definition of imposter syndrome, let me just pull it up here. Cause I think it's, it's really interesting. It says an experience of feeling like a phony as though at any moment, you're going to be found out as a fraud. Like you don't belong where you are and you only got there through dumb luck. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that dumb luck thing is something that we all kind of struggle with. Like, I stumbled in to where I'm at. There was just kind of a random series of events that just Mm -hmm. so happened to open up opportunities. And people didn't really know what they were offering me. They didn't really understand my qualifications. And so I must be here because a whole bunch of people over a really long period of time didn't do their research, didn't check up on me. And I just kept getting allowed into spaces where I don't belong. Yeah. Well, that's not in line theologically with what scripture says about God's sovereignty, about his hand in our lives, about his knowledge of every word we're ever going to write or speak, about the way that his plan works itself out in our lives for our good and his glory. In in God's world, there is no such thing as dumb luck, right? And so, if we are where we are, it is because the Lord has been with us in and through that. And it's it's not a mistake. It's not wow. an accident. Um, and And so I think there is a real security in knowing that. And for me, there's also a real humble comfort in knowing that, you know, I didn't do anything to earn what I have, like even thinking through the parable of the talents and, you know, <clears throat> in that story um all of the talents that are given to the servants are given to them they don't start out just like bringing them to the table they're they're given to yeah, the servants by them. their master mm-hmm. oh yeah and so um that's the same as true for us in the skills and gifts and abilities that we have you know these are things given to us by god In whatever measure he's chosen to give us them for whatever time he's chosen to Mm -hmm. give us them and our job is really just to respond to that and to be faithful in the work and not to be so focused on um, the results or whether or not other people are affirming that in us
1: yeah yeah i like that that reminder about not focusing on the results um it's our job to the sowing is our job, the harvest is not our job, it's God's job. Um, which reminds me of, of a, a working definition of faith that you offer in in uh, in He is Strong. Um, and I don't know if you originated this or if you were bargaining it for, from somebody. Um, you said faith is being so sure something is true that you're willing to take action, even if you can't see the outcome. Um, and I would also add that we can never see the outcome. in anything we think we can, you know? Um, and so, um, especially when it comes to creative work, the, the need to be willing to step into work without being too invested in the outcome is, is really, uh, I really thought it was helpful for you to, to, for the reminder that you offer that that's that's what faith looks like to step in not because we know how this is going to end but to step in anyway um mm-hmm. that's not a yeah. question but it's a it's a topic that is now open for discussion
0: all right yeah i, I did i don't know I, I did not borrow that that sentence from anybody mm-hmm. but for me that concept came from you know, I mean, this is very widely known and used, but I'm pretty sure I heard it from a philosophy professor in college. But, you know, you have faith when you sit in the chair you're sitting in right now, you have faith that it's not going to fall to pieces underneath you Mm -hmm. when you, you know, you don't even turn around and look or check, you just sit right down. And I think that connection between action and faith Is so important. It's almost like if you don't take the action, your faith is incomplete in some way, Mm -hmm. Um, because it's in your head. But until you do something that relies on your belief being true, um, it's it's just it's just a a thing that you're thinking. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think I think when it comes to writing, I mean, this can be tied to the imposter syndrome we're talking about, or you know, any creative work, but there for me has been this level of remembering that it's really between me and God. And to your point, I do not know how this work is going to be received. I don't know if it's going to sell. Sometimes I don't know if something is going to be published. Sometimes I don't know if anyone is even going to be interested in reading it. And Can certainly add,
1: you, you may not even know how the story you're writing ends right until you step yes. to it i mean if, it, if we're talking about fiction but, but even if we're talking about non-fiction the um I, mean, I talk about this with writers all the time it's so important to be open that to the possibility that you don't know what this thing means that you've started writing because but you know i don't care how smart you are you're going to be a little smarter uh, you know, once you've gotten into what you're writing. And so if I'm so locked into I know what I know what I'm saying here, then I'm just gonna write to however whatever that idea was that I started with. But as you've written a couple of books, you know, as you as you wade into it, that's when you start to understand what you're really doing. And and so it's not just a matter of how's this gonna be received, although that's a huge part of writing in faith, but it's also I don't know how this story's gonna, I don't know how I'm gonna finish this work. I don't know what it's going to look like when I'm finished. And I sure don't know how people are going to receive it.
0: Oh, I love that. I can relate to every every bit of that. I mean, I don't know how many times I've written a chapter of something. And it wasn't until after I wrote the chapter that I knew the chapter I needed to write. Yeah, And I completely scrapped that and started over. Or, you know, I I often feel like it's discouraging because even something like a topic like weakness... It's almost not until I got done writing the book that I'm like, okay, now I need to write the book.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. It, there oh, is
0: a real sense of that.
1: Yeah, you know, when when I was teaching, you know, college students, it, it was so frequent to read a you know a four page essay that was three and a half pages of garbage, and then in that last paragraph, they finally knew what they were doing, and it's it's brilliant for half a page, and and uh, if they, had, you know. The the truth is that that three and a half pages of garbage was not a waste. You you have to go through the garbage to get to the good stuff. Unfortunately, they turned in the garbage with the good stuff and oh. you know, didn't get a good grade. But but I, I think that's just a picture of really what you're saying here about about stepping into writing as an act of faith.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, Yeah. I mean, this is a cultural way to say it, but it's like, trust the process, right? Mm -hmm. Like that the creative process is not always linear. And Mm -hmm. it, it sometimes feel like you're not getting anywhere for a really long time. And then after you've put in the 10,000 words, all of a sudden, yeah, you get the one sentence that changes everything. And you're like, oh, oh, that's, that's what this was going towards. Or you take the walk and you take three days off and you're with your family and you're you know in the van and all of a sudden you're like an idea comes to you and it's it's the key that unlocks everything and you're like why could i not get this during my work hours but now mm-hmm. that i'm in the car with my kids and i don't have my laptop i suddenly have words that are bursting from my brain and you know it's just it's just amazing to me it's it's a lot how just god works in general right which is not according to our timeline and expectations mm-hmm. But it's believing that, you know, when He has called us to something and He's gifted us with something, when we are seeking to be stewards with that and do mm-hmm. that to His glory, even if our work doesn't explicitly talk about the Lord, but we're just doing it excellently, that like, He's going to guide us and and help us and lead us through that, but it may not be the way that we think.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I love I love that that insight that you. I'm circling back a little bit to the idea of faith is complete when you actually act, and it does. It's not a question of because I know how things are going to end, I'm going to act, but rather mm-hmm. I know this is. So I know something is true, and I'm going to act on the knowledge that is mm-hmm. true, uh, not on the basis of my confidence that. I know how this is going to end. So, thanks for that reminder. I thought that was really helpful. Okay, Emily, this um, uh, this episode is scheduled to release mid-January. Um, and because I'm such a, I, I'm really good at planning, Emily. I, I wish I wish you knew. I'm, <laughs> kidding, I'm not really. But uh, this was this is a happy this is a, a happy accident or providential or whatever. Uh, it's dumb luck. No, <laughs> and I know you don't have love. But the um, this episode is is coming out right about the time people are understanding the extent to which they're failing on their New Year's resolutions. Okay, um, and so let's talk about that. You you <laughs> talk some about willpower, um, mm-hmm. and when this episode comes out, people are beginning to understand the limits of their own willpower. Um, and they're understanding how overly, uh, you know, we make these choices, we make these plans based on the assumption that tomorrow I'm going to wake up and be a different kind of person than I've ever been before in my whole life. Um, (laughs) that I'm going to suddenly, even though I've never been a planner, I'm going to get really good at planning tomorrow, um, or whatever. Um, so willpower, where does willpower fit in your, um, weakness cinematic universe? Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that first. (laughs) Um, So yeah, willpower is really an interesting topic because there's a lot of of brain science about it that is coming out now. And even talking about it as um, an aspect of your brain that you almost can't get to until some of your other really basic needs are met. Like it's a higher functioning way of thinking. And every time you are tired or you lose sleep or um, you're in a stressful environment or you're having to make really tough choices or you're having to think really hard, it's almost like you dip from your willpower bucket and then your ability to just do something through sheer determination gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And it can really wear down over time, Mm -hmm. especially depending on how big of a change you are trying to make. So there is actual like neuroscience that explains why willpower is so hard for us and Mm -hmm. why it truly is a limited resource that runs out over time, unless you have you know, kind of cracked the code to a habit change. Um, yeah. But i think it's like, a, it's a
1: muscle. I mean, it's, it's, it's the equivalent it of a muscle and it can grow, but it is finite and, it's and finite. There's only a limit of how much you can use your muscle in one day. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Emily. I, I'm sorry.
0: Yes. No. Um, so I I think this topic is interesting because when we hit the limits of our we- willpower, we suddenly just instantly condemn ourselves mm-hmm. as you know horrible people who have failed yet again and it's like well yeah we we hit this this limit of this ability that we have um i don't know that it should be quite so shocking to us i don't know that it needs to be quite so discouraging um to us i don't know that it has to feel like the dead end that it feels like um I wonder sometimes if we could be receive more grace when we hit that point if we would just keep going and realize it's it's less about willpower and it's more about continuing to get up over and over and over again and follow Christ and whatever it is he's leading us to do in our lives knowing we are not going to be perfect. You know, I I've explored this concept in a couple of places in my book but how Almost all of us—I mean, probably I'll just say all of us. I don't know. I'm accusing absolutes, but I will in this case—are really like one phone call, or one moment, or one diagnosis, or one shocking event away from our lives being completely different, our ability being completely different, our capacity being completely different, our—you know—being in a deep season of grief or. Being completely unable to do something. I mean, we kind of just go around assuming that life is going to be what it is right Mm -hmm. now, an hour from now.
1: Yeah, I think of this every time I climb on a ladder. Right. Yeah, (laughs) I think I might follow this ladder and land on my head, and then everything's gonna be different.
0: Right, like that can actually happen, and so we have this illusion. I think that we are keeping our lives afloat by how good we are at stuff and mm-hmm. through our own willpower. And it's like, yeah, that's that's true to a degree, but like you wanna throw in like a catastrophic event yeah. and that happens to people. Like suddenly, you know, how good you are at planning your day doesn't really make that much of a difference anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's kind of a humility of recognizing that, of realizing that like, you know, that friend of mine who I kind of like to get down on in my own mind and judge because they have created these, these grand new year's goals three years in a row, but they've never been able to accomplish them. Well, that, that person may have some things in their life that weigh on them that are really, really challenging and hard mm-hmm. to walk through. And mm-hmm. if you had those same things in your life, you might not be doing as great as you think you are, you yeah. know, and yeah. there's a real like humility that needs to happen there. Even just spiritually realizing like the example I use in the the book is Jesus in the garden with his disciples. And, you know, this is like a pivotal moment of his life and ministry. These are his closest friends who have walked with him for years. All he asks them to do is stay awake for like a few hours and pray with him. None of them do it. Mm -hmm. All he, all he wants them to do is stay with him in the midst of it. Yet he predicts and knows that none of them will every single one of them leave him or deny him and it's just a picture of like we don't have that type of willpower Mm -hmm. in our human in our flesh you know we we can't follow god the way that we want to we need the help of this the spirit and even then until heaven our willpower is going to have limits
1: Uh, that (laughs) That's not cheering me up too much, Emily. What? what?
0: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> What's the good news in this? The good news. I mean, I think the good news. I mentioned it, but I probably didn't emphasize it. Is just the grace of Christ. Um, so you know, you keep that that story going with the garden, and even thinking about Peter who denies Christ, and then you know, on the third the third time that he does that specifically, he locks eyes with Jesus and recognizes what he's done. And he has that spirit of of weeping and sorrow and repentance. And, you know, we know how that story ends, which is mm-hmm. Peter and Jesus reconciling, Jesus forgiving him, um, love being exchanged between the two of them. Peter goes on to uh, have an incredible ministry, an incredibly important role in the church. You know, Peter's life is not over because he did not have enough willpower to stay with Christ. Mm -hmm. And so the same, you know, is true for us. Jesus is not expecting us to be perfect. God is not expecting us to be perfect. He, again, like we've already talked about, he knows our frame. He knows our limitations. He knows how we were designed. That doesn't make our, our limitations, you know, or more specifically, the times maybe even when we sin in, in giving into something that we shouldn't do or isn't the healthiest for us, but there is grace there. And we have to remember like, that the Christ that we serve died for us while we were still weak. Mm-hmm. And He didn't wait until we had cleaned ourselves up first, until we had gotten ourselves together first. And this is the one that we can go back to over and over and over again, Um and continue walking with him. Like, I just think that dead end it's like, just because you have failed doesn't mean that's it. End of story. Never try again. Give up hope. But it's like, just go back to Christ. He wants us to be with him. Yeah.
1: Emily, thank you for, uh, for those, those insights. I want to ask you one more question. My, my usual last question. Uh, Who are the writers who make you want to write?
0: I love this question. And, You know, it's probably a little bit of a wide array. Um, (laughs) This could be a whole podcast in and of itself. (laughs) Um, You know, in terms of applying the gospel and making the grace of Christ uh, just as beautiful as it really is to people, I think Jared Wilson has been a writer for me over the years Mm -hmm. that I've just been really drawn to the way he leans his writing on the gospel. Uh-huh. Um, so that's someone who has inspired me to uh, just be very bold in relying on that same grace in my own mm-hmm. writing. Um, in terms of being a little bit more creative, I think with bringing more of a memoir style approach to nonfiction work and being vulnerable, um, like a Zach Eswine Mm-hmm. Or Russ Ramsey have been mm-hmm. two people whose writing I read, and they're able to weave personal story in in a way that it makes you feel like you're reading a fiction book. You know, yeah. it's it's a page turner. It's it's beautiful. It's profound. Yeah. It's more show don't tell. Um, and certainly, you know, I've even been more interested lately in how memoir or like even just a fiction, um, approach is a beautiful way to share truth. So I remember reading like Hannah Coulter. I mean, I think that's such as maybe a stereotypical answer, but thinking, man, what a beautiful way to convey, uh, truth about how life is and what yeah. people are like and, and you know, all these different things through a story yeah, of someone's such a beautiful
1: life. book, Yeah. Yeah um so i could go are you are you a Marilyn robinson reader
0: yeah i have read um i think it was lila that i read
1: yeah yeah
0: that would have been a few years ago that's similar yeah
1: yeah well read read gilead oh okay yeah all right i'll put that on my Um, list yeah it's very uh very iowa and kansas
0: oh yes that's right yeah okay
1: okay be sure Flannery O'Connor lived in Iowa for a while Um, while she got her her MFA. So uh, another reason for Iowans to get excited about Flannery (laughs) O'Connor. All right, Emily. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for being here. And um, thanks for writing this book. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room. Where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com donate.